Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Here's the headlines in the Chicago Sun-Times home delivered so you know what's going on in the world today as I begin this interview. But you know what? For this interview, I'm going to flip the paper over. That's the sound of the paper being flipped over. I'm going to the sports section. Headlines in the sports section. A foregone conclusion. Man, the Sun-Times with their headline. <laughs> A foregone conclusion in four is F-O-U-R, as though they're talking about the Bulls-Bucks series that's coming up. The Bulls will be swept in four. Get it? Oh, that's sometimes. They got a million jokes. So we're going to be talking sort of about basketball uh, in this conversation, but also a lot about politics, international politics, disparity between men and women when it comes to getting paid for doing the same thing, all kinds of things with my distinguished guests. And as I always do with these interviews, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So without further ado, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Maya Goldberg Safer. Great to talk to you, Ben. This is my, my first time talking to you on the show, but I'm a, a sometimes longtime listener, I would say. Um, and a big fan of some of your guests. So yes. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Maya Goldberg Safer is a truly talented writer, and I urge everybody to run. Don't walk to the latest issue of Jacobin uh, Magazine uh, to read her essay about uh, Brittany Griner. And that's what we're going to be talking about, uh, who's being held uh, in prison in Russia, and nobody will talk about it. So there's like two issues. Why is she being held uh, in prison in Russia, and why won't anybody talk about it? And just so you know, Brittany Griner, ladies and gentlemen, is the best women basketball player in the world, in my humble opinion. Maya will disagree with me. Uh, Maya, before we take the deep dive on Brittany and what's going on, why don't you just explain, introduce yourself to our listeners. This is your first time out uh, uh, being on our show. And and they'll explain just a little background why you are interested uh, in the story of Brittany, but also in women's basketball in general. So just take a moment to introduce yourself. 
Yeah. Well, I grew up in Oakland, California, um, the child of a six foot six uh, guy from Queens, my dad, Benji, and he taught me how to play basketball at a young age. Um, and I fell into it. I, you know, because I was one of the few girls who learned how to play um, when I was still, you know, a kid, I had this sort of natural ability to play. And when I was in fifth grade um, and started playing uh, with the boys, I, I decided to try out for a competitive uh, club team, an AAU team. Um, and I, even though my parents were, um, you know, they were organizers in their day, um, progressive uh, book reading intellectual types, um, I sort of fell into this suburban uh, elite basketball team and I would travel with them on the weekends, every weekend to some small town somewhere in far flung California. And we would play some of the best teams uh, that, you know, the 11 and unders, the 12 and unders, the 13 and unders. And I quit by 13 and under. So I played through high school uh, at a small private school. I was, you know, the starting point guard for all four years on our varsity team. We were not good at all. I did not play in college, but I've always sort of been fascinated by the route that I didn't or perhaps couldn't take um, of continuing to play elite basketball and sort of what that does for people's lives, um, what maybe they're missing and what kind of a culture they become so deeply a part of, um, particularly for women's basketball players um, for whom, you know, the WNBA started in 1997 um, the culture of the league has significantly changed over time. There are still clearly huge barriers that women's basketball players face. So how are people dealing with, with that? Um, and how are people able or not able to sort of express themselves as individuals and express themselves politically while navigating this competitive basketball space? Um, that was something that stuck with me. So in college, uh, I ended up writing a thesis about Brittany Griner in like 2012 because she was uh, the best college basketball player at the time in the country. She had started dunking in games, and she was also receiving just total vitriolic backlash online from sports fans. People said terrible, nasty things about her. Um, her gender was openly questioned. She was considered to be a transgressive force in a way that made me love her even more, right? I was like, this is awesome. This is the sort of transgressive women's basketball icon I've been looking for. And so I wrote about how she was received in society as a whole, but also how the women's basketball community responded to Brittany Griner. And even at that time, there was a lot of sort of hesitance and a fear that perhaps Brittany Griner was too transgressive. Um, and the need to sort of streamline um, her identity. You know, she is um, a tall six foot nine. Uh, she now has lots of tattoos. Uh, she's now openly lesbian. She was closeted at the time in college and encouraged to stay in the closet. Um, but she's always sort of been a bit of a controversial um, figure in women's basketball. And that's always really interested me. Wow. That was a great, uh, riff. Um, so when you say she was too transgressive, uh, back in 2012, when she was just breaking into the public's consciousness as a uh, player for Baylor, uh, what do you mean by that? Go into, just give us a little more, uh, explication, explanation of what you mean, uh, by being too transgressive. 
Right. So at the time in the WNBA, like as, as late as 2012-13, the majority of the players in the league who are queer or gay or lesbian were not out. And Brittany Griner sort of embodied this concept of the glass closet, right? Somebody who is, um, you can sort of see or read as being queer, but who isn't allowed to be out about it. Um, and in her autobiography later on, she revealed that people at Baylor, including her head coach, who perhaps in some ways was worried about um, the backlash she was getting. I mean, people would, other players on other teams would yell things at her in game, say things to her face. Um, but her, her coach discouraged her from coming out publicly. Um, she once punched a white uh, player <laughs> during a game, Jordan Barncastle. There was a huge backlash for that in the women's basketball community. Um, you know, about how violent she was. Um, and she was just seen as being um, sort of concerning. So she turned down a spot in the 2012 Olympics for uh, family obligations. And at that time, there were a lot of people in the sports world, um, you know, especially fans, sort of like mainstream male sports fans who um, were convinced that it was because she couldn't, quote, prove that she really was a woman. Um, and there were tons of rumors about her gender at the time. Isn't it weird how men obsess about that? <laughs> uh, I know that's, I, I don't really want to go in that direction right now because I want to stay focused on what's happening to Brittany there. But when you said that, I was like, oh man, that sounds like a conversation I've probably heard in a bar a million times uh, from men who don't really follow the women's game, but just will see an image of Brittany Griner. Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of like, right, there are so many men that don't follow the women's game, but decide that they have to say, you know, the dumbest shit. Uh, the one time that sort of women's basketball is like thrust in their face and they can't stop it from happening. So like, you know, the draft, the WNBA draft has happened on Monday. It was on ESPN. It's the, you know, one of the few women's basketball events that's, actually televised on ESPN, even March Madness this year, which had record-breaking audience numbers, was on ESPN U and ESPN2, which was great, you know, in some ways. But I couldn't go to a bar before this year and ask them to put on the women's tournament because they wouldn't have the channel. But um, anyway, these sports fans, like, as soon as the WNBA draft starts, I'm on Twitter and, like, men just get to say the things that they've been waiting to say all year about women's basketball that nobody cares about. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's a, uh, it goes beyond uh, women's basketball. Trust me when I tell you a, a man in a sports bar w feels free to uh, opine on absolutely anything. And, and I'm guilty. I will talk about hockey. I don't even know anything about hockey. One minute. Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, all right. But let's, let's, let me stay focused, Ben, stay focused. Um, so Brittany Griner uh, goes to the NBA and she's a star in the NBA. But the WNBA, yeah. Oh, my bad. The, the boy, there's Freudian slip. Uh, yeah, she could probably play in the NBA right now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's also it's like my NBA. You know what I mean? And then the NBA for me is like the other NBA. The other NBA. Yeah. Um. So okay. Uh, but because of the salary structure, she also plays in Russia. So we're leading up to what uh, Putin's Russia has done to Brittany Griner. But before we get there, let's talk about it. Why uh, so many great players like Brittany feel compelled to play overseas uh, in the WNBA offseason? Yes, they can make 
a salary abroad that they cannot make in the WNBA or even staying in the United States, um, getting opportunities through their status as a professional American basketball player. So Brittany Griner is paid over a million dollars in Russia a season. Um, and she is a highly paid player uh, in Russia, you know, as a compared to other uh, WNBA players there. But that is really the market where players are making the most money. Um, so the, the salary cap for the WNBA, if you don't know already, is $250,000. Rookies cannot make more than $72,000. They are making a fraction of what NBA players, the other NBA players, make. So in order to supplement their incomes, many players and sometimes people are able to, if they have won a championship, if they are a multi-time MVP, if they can get the kind of rare commercial deals. And we're talking about a couple of people, right? We're talking about like Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi and Candace Parker types. They are able now to stay in the U.S. and not live abroad. But nearly half of the league this year went abroad to play basketball during the offseason in order to supplement their incomes and to make the kind of money as a professional athlete that they can't make here in the U.S. Now, uh, when you say the salary cap is $250,000, uh, we have a lot of non-sports fans listening to this show. Explain what that means, a salary cap of $250,000. Uh, that means that... You're, no matter, I mean, I don't really know what it means because I don't follow sports obsessively. It means that that is the most you can get paid in the WNBA is $250,000. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you've improved, no matter what you were, you know, paid before, um, you can't. So the maximum salary a player can make in the WNBA, WNBA is $250,000. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. So, uh, and, some of you may be saying, I already had this conversation with my, well, $250,000, Ben, that's more money than I make. Well, here's the deal. The, uh, uh, a player's career is relatively limited compared to how the length of a working person's life. So a great basketball player may get 10 years, maybe 15 years. LeBron James is, uh, and uh, Sue Bird are phenomenal in that their careers have gone well beyond the average, but it's it's maybe 10 years. So there's a limited amount of time when you're making that $250,000. Uh, and if you want to cash in and make as much money as you can uh, out of the game you love, then if you're a women player, you have to go across these, overseas. Maya, let's just think about that for a moment. Russia puts a greater premium mm -hmm. on the value of women basketball players than the United mm -hmm. States does. Why is that? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, and that's actually, that's something that I'm still really looking into. I have to say that um, I think that sports is such an exciting sort of, you know, literal uh, and metaphorical arena for culture to play out. Like that's really where my interest lies. Um, and particularly in an American context, looking at how gender and sexuality and race, um, you know, play out through sports um, and, especially through through women's sports. But I also am sort of easily bored by a lot of the politics of sports, the business of sports, the economics of sports. Um, and so 
I'm sort of, because of Brittany Griner's detainment, diving into the depths of this sort of uh, infrastructure that exists. And I'm still sort of trying to figure out and learn exactly who has set it up and why. I think that there are um, powerful business interests in, in Russia and in other European countries that uh, back the teams directly and fund these teams um, and benefit from the ticket sales directly. I'm not totally sure um, how, how it's grown so much uh, in these other countries while it's continued to um, underpay players here, professional mm. women's basketball in the U.S. And uh, so that's the reality uh, that women face. All right, let's get to the specifics of what happened to uh, Brittany Griner. Uh, again, the backdrop of all this, of course, is uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, which has further alienated Putin's regime uh, in Russia from the Western world. Uh, and uh, so this is sort of the backdrop, obviously, to what went down when Brittany Griner uh, was uh, locked up by the Russians. So take it away with the narrative. Okay, so Brittany Griner plays for a very dominant club uh, in Russia, UMMC. has a longer name than that that I can't say, but uh, they were in the middle of their season this winter, um, and they had a gap in their schedule between they had a game on February 2nd and another game on February 23rd. Um, and during that time, Brittany Griner left the country. She was coming back in on February 17th when she was arrested um, for allegedly carrying uh, vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage. And this news of her detainment didn't actually come out until March 5th, when Russian news sort of propaganda channels released her mugshot. So very few people, and I'm still sort of trying to figure this part out too, who knew where she was between February 17th and March 5th? Because when the news came out on March 5th, it, it was shocking. I mean, I didn't even believe that it was true. How could Brittany Griner be in a Russian prison and have been there for weeks and we didn't know? Like, I, I could not believe this. So once she was taken into custody, um, she, the, the U.S. Embassy wasn't able to get a representative in to visit her in the prison for five weeks after she, until five weeks after she was first detained. Um, and there's very little that we know about how, about her day to day and how she's living in this Russian prison. Um, it's sort of shrouded in, in mystery. Um, and after the news went public on March 5th, the WNBA released like a one sentence press release um, that they were working to get Brittany Griner home safely. Um, the Phoenix Mercury also released her team and the WNBA also released a short, a short press release. But other than that, there was really no public conversation in the WNBA um, about, about Brittany Griner. And, you know, there were a couple of folks a couple of leftist sports people, Dave Zirin of the nation and um, other people who pay, pay really close attention to um, when uh, Americans uh, are detained abroad and there are signs that it could be a wrongful detainment. Uh, those people spoke out quickly. And then her wife, Sherelle Greiner, who she uh, attended Baylor with, um, posted uh, to Instagram 
saying something like, um, we are working on this matter and we hope everyone respects our privacy as a family right now. And that was sort of the first um, signal that there was some kind of uh, advice, perhaps even a mandate that was coming through Sherelle Greiner at that point, but through the women's basketball community that what was most important was to remain silent about Brittany Griner's detainment. Um, and then Lisa Leslie, one of the all-time greats uh, of women's basketball, in an interview uh, said that WNBA players were told not to make a fuss about the situation uh, so that uh, Russia would not use Brittany Griner as a pawn. So that has been uh, sort of the, the dominant narrative coming from the women's basketball world. Um, and I was confused by that, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. Would you expect that to happen when a, you know, seven-time all-star is American professional basketball player, former Olympian, is locked up abroad? Like, I thought it was... It was an odd response. Um, and it struck me that there is like, you know, a ton of, I think, confusion and a sort of black box of information around everything that is happening um, in Russia right now, and particularly what kind of, uh, you know, potential violence uh, the Kremlin or Putin can inflict if they so decide. Um, but at the same time, if this were uh, a men's basketball star, if this were LeBron James, there wouldn't be that sort of option to uh, minimize the case or try to keep quiet about it. I think that there would be such a societal blow up. There would be so much attention that the State Department couldn't necessarily control that people would have no choice but or the, the State Department would have no choice but to talk about it. And so there's this weird um, you know, I think because women's basketball is already in this weird space of being, um, they're being, being underrepresented in, in sports media of all of the misogyny that the sport sort of faces, the, you know, which is uh, reflected by the fact that they have to go and make their salaries abroad. Um, there's sort of the ability to control this narrative as maybe we should uh, minimize this so that we can work with people on the ground to get her out and not make a fuss about it. Yeah. I, um, listening to what you say, um, I have, I have developed a theory, which I will now share with you. I am now revealing this theory, uh, to the world for the very first time. Um, so I'm not speaking, let me start. I don't mean to disparage in any way the great, uh, Lisa Leslie, uh, but I'm just going to break apart uh, what she said. She said some messed up things in the past, but go ahead. Okay, but in this particular instance. Uh, so the uh, WNBA uh, players were told not to make a fuss uh, because Russia uh, would then use Britney as a pawn. Well, she is already being used as a pawn, okay? It's not like they're, oh, if we're mean, they're going to use her as a pawn. Just by taking her prisoner, they were using her as a pawn. She is literally a pawn that the Russian uh, government 
has taken off the chessboard for strategic purposes in a larger game. There is no doubt in my mind. Furthermore, I'm going to go one step further, Maya. I have no proof of this. I do not in any way believe she was transporting hashish oil. I believe this is the most set up case. <laughs> this is like something straight out of the wire. And uh, they, they planted that stuff on her. Because I'll bet you anything is something else I'll tell you. Uh, WNBA players who play in Russia are probably given all kinds of training sessions about what you can and cannot do when you go with drugs when it comes to Russia or any other, any country in the world. They got agents that would tell them this. And uh, if even if the WNBA doesn't care about them. And so uh, Brittany's been playing for how many years? Eight years in Russia, whatever it is. So she knows the ropes. So I don't believe she was transporting hashish at all. I believe it was a setup. I believe she was taken by a Putin's regime in order to have a pawn that they can literally negotiate with, with the United States. Uh, and what the WNBA is saying, in my humble opinion, and get your opinion on this when I'm done, WNBA is saying to all the women in the league, to all the fans in the world, to anybody who even remotely knows about Brittany Griner is shut up. Because the more you talk about her, the greater the price will be to extricate her. And so if we don't talk about her at all, it'll be like she fades and her value in terms of an exchange rate with Putin to get her back will stay low. That is my reading. Go. What's your response? Yes, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you or I'm speculating the same thing when they say it will be easier to get her out if if you don't make a fuss about it, if we don't talk about it, easier for who, right? If, to, to whom does it benefit? Um, what, who stands to lose something from, from getting her out of there? You know, there's clearly um, some value that she has. I agree that, that signs point to her value, which is, you know, known in Russia. Everybody knows who she is. She, she doesn't look like anybody else. She's the best basketball player in the world. Um, when they when they detained her, they knew who she was. They knew the value she could potentially carry. I don't know if they knew what they could get for it. Um, and I think that the the need to keep quiet is um, speaks to potentially this need to be in control of the negotiation in order to benefit as much as possible from this negotiation to get her out. Not actually to no matter what. The price, no matter how challenging, to get this, you know, beloved icon uh, of sports and culture um, out of being potentially a political hostage, uh, you know, in the biggest uh, international conflict that's happening right now. Um, yeah, so I tend to agree, and I also I think that it's interesting when you look more closely. Um, at the different ways that people are talking about, about this. And significantly, we should mention that on Monday at that WNBA draft that was on national TV on, you know, the main ESPN channel, the league did start talking about Brittany Griner um, publicly for the first time in a way that we had never heard before. Um, and what they, they, they started the broadcast, both the, the WNBA commissioner, the host of the, of the broadcast on ESPN, Holly Rowe, the other broadcasters on ESPN, they started by saying, you know, we're all thinking obviously and of course about Brittany Griner. She's top of mind. And all we want to do is to get her home. And we are working as diligently as possible to get her home. What they're not saying is they're not clearly classifying this as a wrongful detainment. 
or as a political hostage or prisoner situation. They are still treating this as an arrest of an American citizen abroad. <laughs> what a joke. You know, so, I got to tell her, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, continue for your thought. No, no, I mean, that's basically it. I, I, I think there's this narrative in sports media now since Monday that the WNBA cares so much about Brittany Griner. Of course they do, that the WNBA is doing everything they can. Are they really doing everything they can if they are already, you know, refusing to acknowledge this as a wrongful detainment, if they're not demanding her release as a political prisoner? I'm not sure if they really are doing everything that they can. But that that's not questioned in, in sports media. No, and, and your lead was very, uh, really well done. And in in, I urge everybody to check out the uh, her article, Maya's article, uh, Jacobin. Uh, your lead was... I forget the dude's name. Somebody is saying, well, obviously, for, for, obviously, oh, everybody cares about. Uh, by the way, when a journalist says, obviously, everybody cares about it, that's dismissing the real story. The real story is we're over a month in and nobody cares about it. So the real story is why doesn't anybody care about it? But when you go, well, obviously everybody cares about it. That's your way of saying, well, I really don't want to look at the real story. So we're going to, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I got a lot. Man, that, obviously, so you took them apart in that lead with the obviously, because obviously they're not. Obviously, you are guys. Nobody's talking about this. Uh, so, my guess is, when we go back to the difference between uh, men and uh, women's sports in this country, and you said, what if it was? God forbid, LeBron James, the greatest basketball player in the NBA, in my humble opinion, uh, in the NBA right now, anyway. Uh, uh, what if he were taken? Well, Maya, the first thing that popped in my mind, fans of the Los Angeles Lakers would be losing their minds. Forget whether they cared about LeBron. Forget whether they were worried that, you know, Putin would be able to extricate something of value while he's, like, shelling Ukrainians and killing them. Forget all that. Their first concern was, like, who's going to be playing power forward for the Lakers? That's Come on. And by the way, will this count? If he's being held in Russia, will this count against our salary cap? I just want to know this because maybe we can draft somebody. That's how – I mean, all – Men, when it comes to sports, they just want their team to win. They don't care about, I mean, if you told a man in America right now that Putin was a great ball handler who could shoot from the three-point line, they'd be like, you know, maybe we should sign him up for the Golden State Warriors. And so my, my guess is it would just a totally, because of that element of passionate concern for the, like the, their teams doing well, Men would be obsessed with every detail. How close are we to getting LeBron out? So will he be able to make Friday's game? Right now on ESPN, they're giving you updates. Will Robert Williams play for the Celtics in this next up-up game? How's the state of his knee? Woj, do you have an update? And then, like, Woj will have an update from some doctor, unnamed doctor, one of my sources with the Celtics. So do you get what I'm saying, Maya? They don't have that intense love for Phoenix Mercury. Like, where's the Phoenix Mercury fans in all? You get what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're, well, you're sort of veering into um, my shared critique, perhaps, of male sports fans, which is that I find their intensity to be alarming. It's so much so <laughs> that the last time I went to a Bulls game, uh, I made my partner move seats with me. I said, we can't sit next to this person because he is so focused on, uh, you know, rehashing every moment 
uh, and being right about everything that he says, calling the game to some woman he's on like a first date with who doesn't like basketball. He's dragged to this game. Like, Oh God. I, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's kind of scary. Um, and that's like part of why I think, um, I've mostly in, in the last couple of years been following the WNBA, like more culturally. Um, you know, I, I totally got into it when Chicago won the world championship last year and I went to a bunch of games, but <laughs> to me, uh, seeing WNBA players, uh, in the public eye, um, you know, increasingly being open about being queer, uh, and gay, like that was the stuff that I was sort of following. And if, uh, I, I guess if it had been a different WNBA player, I would have been very upset about it. I, I would have probably fallen into this hole of thinking about it constantly and writing about it. At the same time, there's like nobody it could be uh, other than or Brittany Griner is the person who, for me, I am the most distressed about being in this situation. Like, and I feel like I have to bring that energy that that freaking out that saying what the hell is this into the world as much as possible because she really is that person for me um and so when i when i went to the women's basketball final four in minneapolis i went because i wanted to talk to people about britney griner now this was near days ago this was the first weekend of april now it's like the we're nearing the third weekend of april this was the first weekend of april when the women's Final Four happened in Minneapolis. And I went to talk to people about Brittany Griner, and there were very few people that wanted to talk to me about it. I will say, to your point, perhaps, the people who were most wanting to talk were older, lesbian probably, WNBA diehard fans, including some Phoenix Mercury fans. Because those people who have a bit of that, um, you know, feeling of reverence and that sort of intense need for someone like Brittany Griner to show up and play basketball like they are meant to. Um, those people, I think, were sort of shocked and confused that there wasn't really a conversation happening around her either. I mean, the WNBA season starts in 20-something days, and in all of the Phoenix Mercury's press materials since she was detained until this week, she was just literally photoshopped out of pictures, right? She was just, she's one of their main stars. She was just taken out of their marketing materials. And so I think these, these fans were like, you know, showing up in their Britney Griner Phoenix Mercury shirts. I, you know, I met a couple of them. There were a handful of them. Perhaps there were a few more. Um, I was passing out buttons that said, bring Britney home, which is what Brent, Ben Proudfoot, who won best short documentary uh, at the Oscars, he said, bring Britney home, Joe Biden, bring Britney home in his Oscar speech. And so I made these buttons that said, bring Britney home, uh, in part because I believe that. And again, I want to show up. I, I feel like I can't not say that in a women's basketball space, but also as a little bit of sort of like uh, performance art to see how people responded to those buttons and like what they had to say about them. And the only people who were saying, oh, of course, yes, I love them. I'll give them to my friends were the sort of core of like women's basketball fans. The closer that I got to the industry itself, whether it was um, other journalists or bloggers um, or uh, coaches, administrators, and certainly players, the more fear and uncertainty there was. And the more it felt like we were talking about something uh, conspiratorial or that the button was some kind of contraband. So I forced myself to, to walk up to WNBA players who I love and adore and say, you want a pin for Brittany Griner. I made these pins. Um, 
to see what their reactions were. And I got a real mix of reactions. Some people, one, one player uh, who's since started speaking about it sort of on the behalf of the WNBA wouldn't even look at me uh, and didn't respond. And there was another player who, who sort of whispered, thank you, thank you for doing this and, and took the pin and put it in her pocket. So it was really striking to see. Um, and I think that there's a lot to learn about the landscape of women's sports by thinking about the difference in those reactions. Um, That that is so deep. And a lot of that's in the story, folks. Again, the Jacobin story, the the one lady goes, well, I get in trouble uh, for even talking about this. Uh, She says that to Maya. That's a quote. But what you just said is so deep. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Uh, Because I just, I have to make sure I heard this correctly. Did you say that the Phoenix team has airbrushed her image out of the team photo. Did I hear you correctly? Is that correct? So not a full team photo, but as they've been gearing up for the WNBA season and posting on social media, getting fans excited about the season, they have, they've been uh, posting imagery of star players on the team that would usually include Brittany Griner. And she is suddenly just not in those images. So, you know, they'll crop together like our three big stars or whatever. They'll say, you know, check out the Mercury's awesome. And typically she would be in the promotional materials and she's just not there. And I have alongside, I will say my other, another big motivator for this, honestly, for getting back into women's basketball so intensely, besides the fact that I'm completely dismayed that Brittany Griner is in the situation is that um, I now have a text message thread with three other women's basketball super fans who are my age and have cool politics uh, and who love women's basketball. And we text every day now. It's called the Wubble. So named after the women's basketball, you know, bubble of 2020. Um, And it's so fun to talk to them about it. And it like gives me people to talk to about women's basketball. So anyway, we were in, in the Wubble thread, we were really sending back and forth some of the things that the Phoenix Mercury was posting you know, so-and-so's here at the practice facility or um, look at, you know, and we were like commenting on their Instagram posts saying, when are you going to say something about Brittany Griner? Of course, there was no response. That, let's so again, go back to our uh, comparison, ladies and gentlemen. If this were, again, God forbid, LeBron James, I don't wish anybody to be uh, uh, just kid- effectively kidnapped and held in a prison. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to Greeny and Woj on ESPN. So if the Lakers sent out an image that just showed Anthony Davis uh, and Russell Westbrook without LeBron as a publicity uh, photo, uh, Greeny would, would be t- having this conversation. Woj! <laughs> what about this Lakers? What does this say? And then, of course, their next interest is, will the Lakers get somebody to fill this vacancy? Yeah, but that would be their, their primary concern. Well, okay, forget LeBron in the prison. Will they have the, will, will, will the Lakers go have, be able to fill his slot roster spot? And um, it's, I really find this astounding on so many levels the depths to which they're just trying to paint her out of history. Like she never existed. Uh, and I, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt, Maya, and switch to this issue. Um, that they're following advice delivered to them uh, 
behind the scenes by State Department officials or diplomatic uh, veterans of past kidnappings who are saying, really lower the stakes. We have to be absolutely quiet about this. Um, And so they're just following sound advice. It's not about cold-heartedness. It's not about uh, latent hostility toward uh, Brittany that they've repressed all these years. It's their following advice. Let's give them the best possible. What's your opinion of that advice as a tactic in terms of, well, that's the best advice uh, to get somebody out of prison who's being unfairly held. And she's in a Russian prison, ladies and gentlemen, which cannot be nice. Uh, what is the best advice to well, follow the, geopolitically? Yeah, Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. I think some of the, I was really grateful to see this Al Jazeera segment uh, about about the situation about Brittany Griner. Um, and there was a professor on there, Dr. Danny Gilbert from the U.S. Air Force Academy, uh, who is in military studies. And she was uh, really a fascinating person to watch on this segment. And she talked about um, how there is, within, within this situation, um, yes, perhaps a certain amount of unknown um, around how the Kremlin or Putin would respond to uh, increased public outrage and demands to release Brittany Griner. I mean, it wouldn't just have to come from from women's basketball Phoenix Mercury fans. Um, you know, it would have to it would have to be far more significant than that. But uh, that there's a difference between that and also specifically holding our own government accountable. Um, so as you're as you're saying, uh, this there are many signs here that this is a wrongful detainment, right? That they took her because she has some political value. Um, that's not the way that our government is responding to this. You know, the reason the WNBA isn't, isn't acknowledging it's a wrongful detainment is because the, the uh, and as this, this professor of military studies said, the department within the State Department that's actually handling this is just the department that does welfare checks on American citizens detained abroad, who are arrested abroad. Right. This is not under the purview of the folks who demand for the, re- the release of a political hostage. Um, and I think that no matter what, how, how the Russian government could respond, the significant evidence that she was being used as a political prisoner from the get go means that we need to hold our own government and the powers that be here in the U.S. accountable for making this a political priority. Because I think it's sort of impossible to know which tactics are going to be exactly the ones that get her out right now, right? Like, it's really hard to figure out um, how she's being treated, who's representing her in Russia and what they're saying, who in the Kremlin is, you know, dealing with this. It's really hard to know. So I think that we need to be speaking about this no matter what, because here in the U.S. it needs to be a really prioritized political issue. Yeah, and uh, I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. It would only happen if uh, the WNBA community made it and uh, a big issue. And as you pointed out in 
just now in your uh, what you said and then in your reporting, uh, that's not the case. They're not there yet. They're airbrushing her out literally of the photograph, the publicity photographs like she didn't exist. Uh, so I do believe uh, they're just going to um, continue uh, with this, the tactics that they're continuing with unless I tend like to you, agree with you. And yeah, I, I do wonder if players, if any individual players um, or a community of players, a subgroup of players will start pushing back against the sort of official WNBA narrative or um, this top-down advice that they've apparently received. I'm curious because um, while the WNBA has been really known for being politically active and progressive and outspoken in the last couple of years, uh, particularly around calling for racial justice after the protests in 2020. I think that this is, and I said this in the piece, you know, this is really sort of a new political frontier that the WNBA, and Lisa Leslie said this too, like this has never happened to us before. We've never been here before. Um, at the same time, it is happening, like we've been talking about, because of these factors that are so ingrained in women's sports that have always been true. The, you know, disparities in how players are treated, um, the issues of breaking rules around gender and, and sort of being punished for it in American society, the, um, you know, difference in pay um, are all between uh, women professional basketball players and men's professional basketball players. Like it's all sort of culminating in this situation. But at the same time, I think the circumstances feel new and terrifying. And again, like shrouded in the sort of mystery of uh, a situation that other people understand. The athletes don't understand this. They have to uh, trust and rely. I mean, like I sort of imagine like for her wife, for example, I, I don't know if this is a fair analogy, but I've, I've made it before that it's sort of like when you find out that someone that you love, you know, your, your spouse, your most loved person in the world is sick and you're at the hospital and there are doctors who are telling you what you need to do to move forward. And you have to interpret, you know, their expert insight and advice um, to make decisions about how you're going to respond. It's not exactly the same, but I think it's really, really hard probably for her to sort of step back and say, no, I'm going to go a different route than, I don't know, <laughs> the officials in the WNBA, potentially her agent, you know, folks in Russia who own the team that, that everyone is saying, you know, I think that she potentially is a bit trapped and it's up to other fans and players and people in the community to push back. Absolutely. And ask questions. That's really, that's really well put. That was a good uh, riff you went on. And uh, I, I thought, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, uh, that Will Smith won the Oscar for, uh, but he played Richard Williams, and uh, the uh, he haven't watched it yet. Uh, you haven't watched it yet? Okay, well, it's mm -mm. it's a really good flick. Don't hold anything against uh, what he did at the Oscars against it because he did a great job. It's a great flick. But the point is, uh, his daughters made it where they did because he was the kind of person that you were describing, or the, the antithesis of, of what you just described. He didn't care what the experts told him. Every tennis expert in the world told him to do X. He did Y because he thought in his heart it was the best thing. And I had a lot of respect for him. It takes a lot of guts to stand up to absolutely every expert in the world. And I know a few people who would do that uh, in my life. I'm thinking of wife and children who have the guts to stand up to uh, people 
when they all these people are telling you X and you know in your heart and your mind that they're wrong. Um, so yeah, and it's tricky because I think I do think that WNBA players, women's basketball players, they face a, a number of issues at the same time, right? Like they, for example, the WNBA um, has such limited uh, spots for players. It's com- it's incredibly competitive to make it into the league, right? During the draft on Monday, they were talking about the second round picks likely not making it onto the roster after training camp. Um, we, you know, again, the fact that people have to spend half of their year abroad making a salary, I think that there's this sort of scarcity within the WNBA, the world of women's basketball, where, it, you know, to put yourself out, to put your neck on the line, whatever the expression is, to take a stand about something that is really not okay to take a stand about or that there is this explicit mandate that you are not allowed to approach. I think it, it's really risky. There are yeah, real no. risks that that carries. And and I could tell you from uh, my knowledge of basketball that I've been obsess- obsessively following uh, since way before you were born, uh, that a lot of NBA players paid a price for daring to be different uh, on any issue. Interracial dating. I could think of a couple got in trouble for interracial dating. You're like, man, come on, really? Yes. And you pay a price if you dare to be different uh, in professional sports. Uh, that is for certain. I have one final question to ask you that I should have asked you earlier and very negligent on my part for not asking earlier. And that is this. Uh, what was with the WNBA uh, in allowing her to return to Russia? Like, where? Uh, hello, WNBA. War in Ukraine. Ever heard of it? Putin a lunatic. I mean, I that's the part. I Because I, I was reading stories about players in Europe who were getting out of uh like ukraine russia and uh and yet Brittany griner was allowed to go back to russia in the middle of this is there had there been any reporting on that aspect of the story i have not yet seen reporting that is really scrutinizing the fact that she was headed back into russia on february 17th given the political climate uh, and the sort of anticipation of an invasion of Ukraine, which we now know is, was happening. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, and I would like to write about it and learn more about it, research it. So, you know, The Intercept, if you're listening, you got to hit me up first. I'll tell you what I know. Other people can work on it, too. The story should be told, but, like, just don't go do it by yourself because I know you're listening The Intercept. Um, you know, I'm... Yeah, I, I'm uh, wondering about that, too. Um, and I've started thinking about that more in the last couple of days. I, I had gone to the Final Four and really wanted to write something about um, my experience there, uh, trying to talk to people about Brittany Griner and sort of critique the, um, the silence in the women's basketball community around this and get to some of these issues we're talking about, uh, you know, some contradictions around women's basketball being both a progressive space and also in some ways a conservative space, a space where people speak out, but also a space where people are scared to speak out, those kinds of things. Um, and in putting together this piece and in the last couple of days, revisiting the details of, of the case itself, I, I realized I had thought that she was evacuating Russia for a long time. I had assumed she was leaving the country. And I realized that she was actually trying to enter the country. And that's when I went straight to 
um, you know, the website for the club in Russia to look at their, their, their schedule of games and to look through the Euro women's basketball sort of like Twitter content to see who was playing in the games. And her teammates were playing in games after she was detained on the 17th. They weren't evacuating until March 2nd. The WNBA told ESPN made a big deal on the 24th that they had, uh, you know, gotten all of the WNBA players in Ukraine out already. So, and, and there was a travel advisory already in place as of January 23rd, warning American citizens that they could face increased harassment uh, and danger if traveling to Russia, not Ukraine, but Russia. So I think that there are some big questions there too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jacobin, you heard it. Let, uh, let's get part two going. Uh, Micah, come on, get that come assignment on, out Micah. there. Uh, Micah, will, <laughs> yeah, come on, Micah. Uh, anyway, uh, Maya, thank you so much. You uh, really did a great job of uh, just sort of bringing the story. I know a lot of my, I could, sp- I could tell you, uh, for me and my listeners, this is a new story that's developing. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Yes, the, the, the gentleman mentioned it uh Proudfoot at the Oscars and Al Jazeera did want that episode, but it's really been uh, ignored uh, by the mainstream media for certain. So it's true. I will say do, not mainstream, but my guy, Dave Zirin at the nation uh, also hosts the edge of sports podcast. He's been talking about it since the start um, and has been really supportive of me and in looking uh, into this. So he's another yeah. person to follow for Dave Zirin, a great journalist uh, has been on this show. The only uh, issue with Dave Zirin, he has a, a strange affinity for the Washington wizards. Well, I, which I will never understand, but that's a whole, that could be a whole topic of another conference, another whole show. What's with Dave and the wizards. Uh, anyway, Maya, thank you so much. And uh, good luck uh, with your continuing investigations. Thank you. It's really good to talk to another weirdo sports lover. <laughs> That's what I am, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, All right. Very good. Maya, thank you very much. That's Maya. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.